Hi, everybody. This is Talking Digital Industries, the podcast for technologies and trends that drive industrial enterprises. And yes, it's me again, Chris Brow. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I just can't keep up with the speed at which technologies evolve. And with the vast amount of data from machines, process, and products providing ever new possibilities, not only for me as an end user, but also for manufacturers. Now, it doesn't seem to be me alone, though, because in the industry, there's more and more talk of people at the center of digital transformation, even developing a human-centric tech What this means and how companies are already implementing it is the subject of today's discussion with two absolutely fascinating and competent guests. So let's start it off with a, let's say, independent expert for digital transformation and B2B tech influencer, Cyril Coste, joining us from the UK. Cyril, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. Great to have you with us. Also joining us here today is Jakob Schillinger. He's a low-code evangelist at Siemens Mendix, and he has a very interesting story to tell on why, in the end, it's all about speaking the same language. Now, Jacob, I think, uh, or I hope this introduction was correct. It was. Many thanks for having me. Okay. And obviously, we all speak the same language here. uh, So I think we're off to a good start. Welcome, both of you, first of all. How are you doing? And once again, I said, uh, Solid, you're you're dialing in from the UK. Jacob, where are you at right now? I'm based out of Berlin in Germany. Okay. And I'm actually in Rome right now. I just started my family vacay here today. We landed about three hours ago. And this is one of the things about technology that I love, that we're still able to do this. We don't have to meet in person. Um, nevertheless, I would love to, of course, maybe next time. But hey, you know, this is what technology um, also has to offer. So why not use it? So... Now, you two are probably, in comparison to me, quite fit when it comes to new technologies, digital transformation in general, digital tools. Um, but I do want to know, is there ever been a situation in which you thought, oh my gosh, I guess I'm getting old. I can't keep up with this. I know I, I, I come to that point every time I speak to my kids. My kids are so much farther than I am when it comes to technology. How about you two? So why don't you start it off? Sure, we become overwhelmed by uh, digital technologies in different shape and form, mm-hmm. uh, as well it can be, you know, uh, video games or social media for your kids, uh, but it can be also collaborative tools uh, if you are in an office. And we have been bombarded with data for the past 18 months with the R number, you know, the contamination rate, number of cases, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we've been data-driven in all mm-hmm. day-to-day life for the past 18 months. And what's interesting is that we are still talking about, you know, how many days we should go back to the office. Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is sure is that we will never go back where it was before. We have, the planet had a big training last year in digital. So we all learn uh, digital tools, learn some programming together, and it has just accelerated indeed our digital transformation. Now, that was a nice holistic view of it. And to come back to you personally, do you come to a point where you think, uh, I'm just getting too old for this. I can't keep up. Have you just, have you ever, you know, come across that situation? Uh, In a sense, yes. That's to say, um, (laughs) maybe when I started talking about digital transformation, when it was digital business transformation about 10 years ago, yeah. uh, I was able maybe to cover this topic from A to Z. 
Yeah. Now maybe it's only A to L because <laughs> it, it, it becomes very, you know, uh, profound and complex. You know, for example, if you start touching artificial intelligence, exactly, it, it's incredibly complex or cybersecurity, for example. And uh, how about uh, you, Jacob? Yeah, I I basically get weekly reminders uh, about how I'm not coping well with all the digitalization topics. There's a guy in my Dungeons and Dragons group. Uh, his name is Nico. I know him since the the late 90s, actually. Mm -hmm. We have been meeting on a weekly basis to play together, and he's a full-stack developer. So I have known that guy for ages. We, we are talking a lot about digitalization topics, yet um, whenever he is starting to talk about his developer life, I, I can't follow up because he is speaking a, a language as a full-stack developer that is completely different to mine. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I'm I'm relieved at least a bit that uh, you guys feel like I do at least sometimes. But as I mentioned in my introduction, um, many companies are still overwhelmed by the speed at which digitization is spreading, despite the fact that we've all been forced to adapt, obviously, in the past year. Um, if we look at statistics, only 11% of companies use digital twin technology, although its benefits are clear. And on the other hand, we read about new business models and opportunities popping up like mushrooms all the time. So if we get a little philosophical, what does digitization actually do to us humans? Now, despite all the possibilities, there are obviously fears and concerns. Is it a thing of our brain? I mean, uh, once again, technology has evolved so much, but we still have the same brains as we did, I don't know, uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago, don't we? Yes, we are. Well, the, the brain has uh, thankfully developed since uh, 100,000 years ago. <laughs> um, what is the same is that basically uh, uh, we resist to change. At the lowest level, humans, we are still animals. So, mm. animals. We are still this instinct to fight or flight. So, if there is no benefit for us, we just go away and we try to avoid effort or pain. Basically, this is what it means at the lowest level. Mm -hmm. What it means now, if you translate that in the business world, is I don't want to change if I don't have to. I don't want to make the investment if I don't mm -hmm. have to. I mm -hmm. don't want to make the efforts to retrain my workforce if I don't have to. If my current customers don't have other needs, if their needs don't change, why would I try to anticipate their future needs? So this is what it means. You need also to see it not just at from the opportunity side, but also from the risk side. Mm -hmm. And mostly, especially, you know, large companies when they are run, where the CFOs, for example, will have a, a, an important role, uh, the company will be managed through a risk avoidance point of view. And digital transformation is about experimentation, is about taking calculated risk. It's not avoiding risk. It's okay, there is a risk. How do I manage it? And that, in terms of culture, it's very different because it's not, we don't want to eliminate the risk because in this case, you do nothing. It's how do I manage the risk? So it's a balance between opportunities and risk as usual. But what has been great with digital transformation is mm -hmm. now we have tools implementing new ways of working. We have access to data. We have access to storage. We have access to collaborative tools that make things going faster. And going faster also introduced a risk in itself that needs to be managed. Uh, so this is basically the, the pendant of the opportunity is manage risk. 
don't avoid it. But what does this mean on a leadership level? I guess it's fundamental for a successful digital transformation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I started working 10 years ago on digital transformation project, you know, technology was very important. Mm-hmm. But indeed, what the, the, the critical factor, success factor, is culture and sponsorship. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful in implementing digital transformation projects in your company, you need to have the right culture. It's not just IT or some product owners on one side or just one team somewhere. It's really the company that needs to embrace all digital transformation. That means, you know, different things for different companies in different industries. But basically, it, it, you need to develop a culture where tooling is here and culture of sharing, culture of connecting systems together and in also fighting silos. So this is what I mean also by cultures. I say where the business side work much closer to the technical side or the, the production side. So that's really fundamental to the success of a digital transformation project. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Cyril. Now, I heard in an interesting TED Talk, uh, Nadia Youssef from the Boston Consulting Group once drew a comparison. She said that new technologies and their potential are like having a new colleague. You can either welcome him warmly and integrate him into the group, or you can ignore him or her and just leave him or her isolated. So what do you think about this, Jacob? I do think that is true, but the thought process finishes a, a bit early. If new potentials and technologies or processes are accepted or rejected by the people, that is indeed a decision that people or groups will take um, by themselves. But I don't think that this is a a decision that is made randomly uh, because groups don't make random decisions just so. And um, yeah, rejection is usually based on diverse emotions. And well, if Star Wars teaches us one thing, that is um, the the source for that, uh, for, for those emotions is a lack of understanding of a topic. So with digital transformation uh, elevating itself from tech crunch to, to, to something that impacts whole enterprises or even societies, we have to rethink how we manage it from dealing with tech topics to a scope that is maybe similar to using social integration to make mass migration a success story. Mm-hmm. And, and always rem- remembering that fundamental views on how we did things in the past and how we're doing things today and how we will be doing things in the future will not make us successful. So as, as Cyril said, we, we need to, to experiment more and to do that, we always need to talk about what has been, what is now, what will be. Okay, you're talking about experiment more. And I have to think about, once again, the past year we, where everybody was forced to experiment. Now, it's always easily said, we have to experiment more, you know, have to take risks and so forth. But I guess, once again, just like you said in the beginning, Cyril, you know, people don't do it if unless they don't have to. You know what I mean? I actually don't believe that people don't experiment if they don't want to because experimenting can be quite a lot of fun it is just necessary that you have the right platforms in place right you can experiment on so so experimentation doesn't come with a a big burden of of like like technical applications you need processes Mm -hmm. you have to go through if you can rule those out then experimentation will, will happen even though there's there's not a life or death situation at hand. 
Okay. Now, I, I also know you're working at Siemens Mendix, and uh, quite interesting, uh, interestingly, the founding of Mendix is related to exactly what we just discussed. That means the overload of companies with uh, with the digital transformation. Maybe you can briefly explain what exactly Mendix is, and um, what does it have to do with the topic of human-centric tech? Yeah, let me lay that out. And maybe I always like using me as an example for what Mendix is doing. So I'm a mechanical engineer. And mm -hmm. uh, while I was studying, I understood pretty early that the digitalization would have an impact on everything, engineering, manufacturing, logistics in the in the very near future. So um, I, I tried to learn as much uh, as I could about digitalization in like internships, in my first jobs, in university courses. Um, and I also wanted to learn how to actually program software and how to become a software developer. So um, over the years, I managed to do some basic coding, but never on a scope that is needed when you when you write full applications. So I never managed to turn into uh, Nicolosa from my uh, from my D and D group. I also never managed to to work with the infrastructure that you usually need uh, when you plan, develop, or maintain applications. So like talking GitHub, Jira, servers, and everything. Um, maybe with full focus, I, I would have been able to manage it. But um, I had a daytime job. I was an engineer, and mm -hmm. I also needed to play Dungeons and Dragons with Nico. So I couldn't <laughs> spend all the time on, on becoming a, a full stack developer on the side. And Mendix actually takes all these hurdles, these effort, these, these time, these complexity hurdles away. Because Mendix is a platform that supports all steps of the software application lifecycle. So from ideation, project management, application development, testing, the, the productive deployment, or, or later the maintenance or, or the reusage of, of components, that's all covered in one platform. And as the platform is cloud native, you can, you can access it with one click. And if you are successful with it, scale it up to the needs of an enterprise. And there's even more to it because the technical core of how you program in Mendix, that is based on a visual modeling language, uh, we call that low coding, that makes it easier for, for non-developers to program or just converge about, about topics with IT experts. And again, as you are running, developing, and working in that cloud-based environment, IT always has the chance to stay in control. So nothing is happening that, that IT doesn't know about. Mm -hmm. So at first place, it's all about accessibility and a common language, right? Exactly. So it basically allows enterprises to execute digitalization with speed, collaboration, and control. And on top of that, and I think that is for me, the most important part of what Mendix is doing. In an enterprise, suddenly everyone can now impact digital transformation directly. And that turns people from, from being impacted by digital transformation to, to driving it. And that, that is the basic concept of successful change management. Um, if you want to create acceptance for new potentials, technologies, or processes, you have to do that with the people and not for the people. I mm, understand. But maybe you can give us also an example of a specific challenge um, at Siemens, maybe, or with a customer, and how low-code was able to bridge this gap. Is there any use case you can you can give us? Yeah, we have quite 
plenty of, of use cases in, in, for example, in Siemens, um, because we are using Mendix, the platform Mendix in Siemens for global digital transformation as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the first Mendix use cases we had in Siemens was, was actually created when the first uh, pandemic lockdown was lifted. So that was one of the high stress times applications that, that came to life because suddenly all of Siemens needed uh, something as simple as an office space reservation tool mm -hmm. that was able to respect local regulations in, in, in each country Siemens is, is doing business in or even in regions of those countries so business critical meetings could go on live again. Yeah, for that, Siemens IT created the Safe Workplace application mm -hmm. in less than three weeks together with process experts wow. from HR, real estate, legal, and, and even the medical department. Yeah, thanks to deploying it uh, in the cloud, the app was able to scale up to accommodate around 20,000 people in, in, in the first weeks of usage. Wow, in and, three weeks? Um, That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was needed. It was a necessary tool everyone needed. Mm. And just imagine like hosting an app like that uh, for the first time, testing it out on a on a server that, that runs on premise. And then suddenly you need to go to 20,000 people that use it or use it on a frequent basis. In the cloud, you just like switch a lever and you have more resources. You, you can't do that going on premise, or, wow. or at least not as easily. Sometimes it takes me three weeks to change a light bulb. You guys just uh, develop an, an entire app. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I feel your pain happens. Coming back to the experimentation point. So that is an app that was created because it was absolutely necessary to do that. But um, more and more people have understood the value of Mendix as a platform for Siemens. Based on that, we are seeing a unprecedented speed of implementation of the platform in, in, in Siemens. So close to 200 Mendix applications have went productive in the past 12 months alone. We have more than 500 in the making, so the speed is even increasing now. Okay. And uh, actually more than 1,000 people in, in Siemens got certified as, uh, as Mendix developers. So those are 1,000 people that are now actively working on Mendix applications that didn't have any application development skills before. Okay. From my perspective, that is making Siemens more future-proof as a company. So it almost sounds like everybody can you know, learn low code, including myself. Is it like that? Yeah, I can guarantee you that you can learn low code by, 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 by signing up for a Mendix account. In like two hours, you will have your first application online. But there's a, there's an important disclaimer because Mendix allows you to become a application developer, but it will not turn you into a full stack developer overnight. <laughs> um, it also does not challenge the integral role that professional developers and IT experts have in, in digitalization, managing things like solution architecture or IT security, IT compliance. But it allows you to directly impact software projects. It allows you to directly converge with, with experts instead of writing statements of work that are then misinterpreted by, by IT people who don't understand the processes you're, you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is what Mendix is all about, collaborating, making people talk to each other on, on, a, on a common visual low-coding language. That is impressive. And Jacob, uh, you're going to take me under your wing uh, for a low-code workshop, right? You can sort that out yourself. It's all very well documented. You need two hours and you don't need me. 
All right. But if I do, I have your number, so I'm going to call you up and, and go okay. on your nerves. But nevertheless, uh, Cyril, what do you think? Is it enough that we you know, embrace and learn how to use and communicate with the help of, of new technology? But um, don't you think it should be the other way around also, that not only we adopt to a new environment, but also the environment adopts to us? I, I think we're experiencing this already, if I may say that in one, too. That, I mean, there are already applications and things around us that adjust to us. Um, a new machine that arrives through a virtual training, this machine learns about my behavior and my preferences, and we become a perfect team on the production line, or also a software that can anticipate my needs and skills and automatically adjust to that. I know there are things like that in place already, but I mean, more of that, there's more of that to come in the future, right? So that Yes, it's already in the house. You know, it's Alexa. Uh, mm-hmm. Alexa is going to learn, you know, your music taste, is going to learn, you know, how do you prefer the light to be mm-hmm. done. Um, if you go after Netflix, you know, they will know your uh, movie taste. Um, and, you know, I have a, also an example with YouTube, for example, what YouTube recommends to me, recommends to me in the morning is not the mm-hmm. same as what it recommends to me at lunchtime or the evening because... I watch different topics during the day. So uh, they, they learn from what I, what I watch. I follow exactly, you know, what Jacob said about, you know, it's easy to learn extra. But mm-hmm. in my view, it's always, there is always a need to learn something. You know, English is not my uh, mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed to learn to speak English. Uh, the grammar, the vocabulary, uh, the flow of the sentences, extra. It is, there is a learning phase, experimentation phase. Uh, also um so it's um technology yes adapt to us mm-hmm. but do you want to your life to be driven by technology or do you want to drive the technology mm-hmm. i think there is a balance to have and sometimes uh, i think we are a bit too the only word that comes to my mind is lazy mm-hmm. uh, and uh, maybe we will reach this peak with an autonomous vehicle um so it's important to always keep in mind, you know, why do we use technology? Well, what is our goal? What do we want to reach? What is the value? Right. Um, if we use it, for example, in a kind of manufacturing environment, we know how to use it for predictive maintenance. You know, using data, we know mm-hmm. where it's going to, uh, which machine is going to require some maintenance. The same in data centers with a hard drive. They know that, you know, when the specific uh, temperature is rich on a hard drive, it means that mm-hmm. uh, it becomes unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to draw the line. Uh, uh, I, I think it depends on everybody's taste also. Maybe uh, maybe there is a cultural aspect to it, um, yeah. uh, a generational aspect, definitely. I think that um, my seven years old uh, niece is going to embrace technology very differently from uh, my parents or grandparents. So we need to be aware of this gap and to be as inclusive as possible. And this is where technology can adapt, basically, because you want a lot of technology to adapt to your life or not. That will be your choice. And basically, you need to define how um, yeah. how to engage, uh, especially from uh, also the data privacy point of view, you know, how much do you want to share? You know, to, exactly. The more you share with technology, the more you will get the benefits. So how much, uh, how much do you want to share? How much are you comfortable? How much are you willing yeah, yeah, how much are you willing to to give into it? And and I like what you said about are you driving technology or does technology drive you? Um, I think it should be basically an extension of us. You know what I mean? Yes, like that. You have 
Yeah, exactly. It's like yes. kind of like a like an Android or something, um, or or a or what do you call these uh, the the human human robots? Uh, part human, part RoboCop was one of these one of the first uh, movies that oh, featured yeah. this this technology. I don't know if you remember that movie. But yes, half half man, half machine, man. basically. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of like augmented <laughs> humans. See how old I am talking about RoboCop. Uh, everybody is born nineteen ninety ninety five doesn't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, so I guess we could say industry is and will be data driven, obviously. But this data um, can also be used to make industry more and more human centric. Um, maybe also giving people the capabilities to use the data. With Mendix, um, basically, kind of like what you said before, Jacob, right? Exactly. Just because data has no no inherent value until you make it actionable, and to make data actionable, you need applications. Mm-hmm. That means your enterprise needs the capability to create and iterate applications as new technologies and and yeah capabilities to deal with data enter the fray. And at the same time, you, you need to visualize the value that these applications deliver to, um, yeah, to make creating further applications that create value by, by using data sustainable. Whenever you create value that is tangible for people, that will drive the creation of, of further applications, applications that also interact with each other and new capabilities coming up. And doing that, you automatically make your digital landscape more human-focused, and you also make it adapt to um, to you instead of adapting you to, mm-hmm. to technology like you like you just asked for a, a few minutes ago. And yeah, that is, that is what, what Mendix as a platform delivers on MouseClick. So to jointly work on bringing together OT and IT, um, real and also digital, can we already anticipate this now for future job profiles? Uh, Jacob, what do you say about this? There's certainly been quite a change on how job profiles are looking. And I think how job profiles are looking will change even further in the future, not just considering like the convergence of OT and IT everywhere. Uh, because, um, yeah, no enterprise, no person can escape uh, from the call of the digital world. So when, when I studied mechanical engineering back in like the, the early 2000s, I was always told by my professors to specialize on a topic to be successful. And I wanted to be in manufacturing later on, and I wanted to do digital stuff in manufacturing and decided that if I want to want to be successful in that, because manufacturing is impacted by so many things, HR, logistics, uh, warehousing, and so on, uh, digitalization will bring that closer to manufacturing, that I needed to be a jack of all trades. So mm-hmm. I, I, I did quite a lot to, to become a, a jack of all trades traits like like doing very diverse uh, internships or visiting courses I actually didn't have to visit just to learn a little bit more and yeah as as today the world is turning more into a microservice driven world knowing what happens around your area of expertise is becoming key mm-hmm. um, so explore what others do talk talk to people travel and and always do it a bit more than than you have to from from mm-hmm. my experience it always pays off when you when you expect it the least and um, while that that being a jack of all trades notion will not make its way to like a job description it will show at at, at least when you are on the job interview and then it will be key all right i like that 
And I think this was a very exciting conversation about an important topic. Um, so I'd like to thank you both very, very much. Looking at the time, once again, it's up. But uh, Jacob, don't forget uh, to send me an invitation to the Loco training. Well, you said you don't, you're not going to be available. But once again, I you got your what? contact you, details. You get one. You get one. I will give you a, a personal Mendix introduction. Okay, that's a deal. And uh, at this point, as always, a reference to further information, for example, at www.mendex.com. So thank you, Cyril. Thank you, Jacob. I hope you enjoyed it also. It was great, Chris. Thanks. It was great. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, of course, stay tuned for our next episode. This is Talking Digital Industries. And uh, be sure to join us again soon. Thank you. And bye-bye. <laughs>